Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. We're going to read from two different passages, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you or you don't have one at all, please avail yourself to Bibles on the, along the aisles here, and that's a gift from us to you uh, if you'd like to keep that and read that. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, it will be up on the screen there. Um, I'm actually reading from the ESV. I forgot that we had the NIV, but it'll be pretty close. So you are the light of the world. This is talking about us. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The other passage is John chapter 8, verse 12, and it says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, today we're starting a four-week series on mission, where we talk about what it looks like to be people on mission in today's culture and in our context. And one thing I want to say from the start is that even though this is a four-week series, I don't want us to see mission as a four out of 52 week of the year pursuit. We are deliberately passionately, permanently, a church on mission. We have the greatest news achieved by the greatest person, planned by the most powerful God that you could ever imagine. And part of my role is to help equip us to be a church of God, to be people on mission every day for the glory of God. That's what we're here for. We're here on a mission to see people come to know Jesus. Uh, In July 2015, we launched Follow Baptist Church, and that was our goal to see people in the officer region come to know the Lord, to see the name of Jesus lifted high over this region. And prior to day one, we started with a committed launch team of about 32 people. And over the last two and a half years or so, we've come to around about 300 people on a weekend service here at church. And that's a wonderful thing. And so let's pat our back, ourselves on the back and let's congratulate ourselves and let's then snap back to reality and realise that in a suburb, there's going to be 30,000 in the next few years, not to mention the surrounding suburbs. We're currently reaching about 1% of our suburb, let alone the rest of this area. So let's be thankful to God for all that he's done, but let's not congratulate ourselves too much because there's a huge mission ahead and it's going to take all of us to be people on mission if we're going to reach our community, every single one of us. Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. We leave the 1% to go after the 99%. And that's our mission in the officer region, to go and reach people. And I wholeheartedly believe, and I say this all the time, that officer will be a better place because we exist. And part of that will be that many people will come to know Jesus personally through faith as we step out and share the gospel. And that's just not the role of the senior pastor. That's the role of every one of us to be people on mission and to share this incredibly good news. You and I all have a role to play in that. And so today the title of my message is I Am, You Are, We Are. You might remember the song. I am, you are, we are Australia. 
I just look for every excuse to sing. Sanjay's saying, no, don't do it. Don't do it on the front row. But I do it. It's, uh, do it again. I am. You are. We are. Australia. You can clap now. That's great. I never knew that song was written by Bruce Woodley of the Seekers. I knew it was Daggy, but I didn't know it was that Daggy. That's my dad's favourite band. But if Jesus had a theme song, I think it would be I am, you are, we are the light of the world. And so the title of our series, this series about being on mission, is The Illuminated. Now that sounds a little bit close to the Illuminati, doesn't it? And let me make sure that we're talking about two different things here. The Illuminati is a fictitious, although some people say it's real, group that is a secret society that apparently controls the entire world. They're probably people wearing cloaks and they're infiltrating the media and they're brainwashing the masses. And many people believe it's made up of politicians, religious leaders, not me, uh, pop stars, that's me, and actors. And it's all very weird stuff. It's secretive, it's manipulative, it's controlling, and it craves power. The Illuminati distorts the truth. It divides and conquers, and it's dark and seedy. And I think it's helpful to define all that today because it's exactly the opposite to what we're called to be as Christians. We are not the Illuminati. We are the Illuminati. We're not designed to contribute to the darkness of this world. We are called and chosen by God to bring light into the darkness, to share the truth of Jesus Christ, and to live lives that are radically transparent, unashamedly honest, and to represent Christ in a world that desperately needs him. That's our job. We are the illuminated. So when you became a Christian, you didn't join an exclusive secret society, uh, although sadly some churches function that way. You became a child of God. And part of the greatest public mission ever given to the human race to be agents of reconciliation, reconciling people to God, the God who created them. And so if you're a Christian here today, you are one of the illuminated, and we'll make you a secret badge after the service. (laughs) And the reason you're part of the illuminated is that our leader, Jesus Christ, was and is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12 Our key verse today, Jesus spoke to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And so the first point today is simply this, that Jesus is the light. I think you'll all agree that light's pretty important. A few weeks ago, the power went out in here and all of a sudden it became pretty dark, even though it was during the daytime. Light's a really important thing. Uh, Recently, just late last year, I was in Israel. And one of the things I got to do was to visit Hezekiah's tunnel, um, which is an incredible feat. It's tunnels built under the city of David in Jerusalem in ancient times. And they built these tunnels under the city through, you know, solid rock with pretty primitive tools. And it became a water tunnel where they would access water for the entire city. And it's quite sophisticated. And at times, as we went on this tour, we had to wade through water and we had to, you know, um, get our way through there. And as you can imagine, it's pretty dark down in tunnels under a city. Now, these tunnels are really sophisticated, and there were times where the tunnels actually became very narrow. You had to really squeeze through. And at other times, you had to sort of duck down because the rocks jutted down, and they were sort of this high, and you had to kind of crawl under and wade through water just to get through these tunnels. And so you can imagine that light was pretty important down there. And we were all encouraged to take a torch with us, which we all did except one person on the trip. And so we had a guy with us, He was a rather large guy, and so the tunnels were always going to be a challenge for him. But he was also a rather stubborn man, and he point blank refused on taking a torch. 
For the rest of us, we took our torches, we switched them on, and they safely uh, took us through those tunnels. So we knew, knew when we had to breathe in and when we had to duck down and all, that thing, all those things, we could do that because we had our torch on. But for our friend, uh, Ivan, it was a very different story. He wanted to be the last in the line, and he was quite easily the slowest in the group. And so you can imagine... He's the last in the line. He's the slowest in the group. He doesn't have a torch. And so as we start, he can see the light from us. But as we go on and he lags behind and the light gets further ahead, there's less and less light and it becomes darker and darker for Ivan. And so in the background, as we're going along, from time to time, we just heard, ah, ah, like this, all the way behind us. And we'd yell out, are you okay? And he'd go, yeah, I'm fine. And then we'd go a little bit further and he'd be like, ah, ah. And we just kept walking. And so the tunnels were about 45 minutes. And we all got out with, you know, not a scratch on us. We're a little bit wet, but that was about it. And we got to the end of the tunnel. And we're at the, at the tunnel. And we're talking about it at the exit point, And we're taking selfies with our selfie sticks and all those important things you do when you're on holidays. And about 10 minutes later, Ivan walks out. And the first thing we notice is he's got a massive scratch down his leg where he's fallen over. And he's got blood coming from a gash in his head where he didn't see the rock that was jutting down, just at the wrong height. And all of a sudden, it became obvious why torches were a good idea. We got through safely. We enjoyed it. Ivan did not. And as I was thinking about that story uh, this week, I, I, I thought about our world. And as I recalled that experience, it occurred to me that this could describe the spiritual journey of so many people in our world today. They try to navigate through this life in their own strength and in their own way, resisting the light of life, getting battered and bruised and feeling lost and empty with no real hope for this life and certainly no hope for the next. And I thought about what is it that they need? Well, they need the same thing as my friend Ivan. They need the light. They need the light in the darkness. This world is a dark place. Just pick up the paper this morning, watch the news tonight, watch the replay of the St Kilda Collingwood game last night, and you will know this is a very dark world. <laughs> and the reason it's so dark is because of sin, because of the wrongdoing of mankind. Sin and death has entered God's good creation, and we live in a world with all sorts of brokenness and evil, and most tragically, it's that sin that separates us from a God who's holy in every way. And so because of our sin, we find ourselves left in the dark. We have no hope for the future. We're separated from God. This is a result of the devil's work, and it's a result of our own sin. In 1 John 3, 8, it says these words, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, but the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. A Jesus who says, I am the light of the world, stepped into the darkness to pay the price for our sin, which caused the darkness in the first place. And he did it by paying our punishment on the cross. And so when we repent, repent simply means doing a 180 degree turn. So all of us are walking away from God, lost in our sin, stumbling in the darkness. But when the Holy Spirit works in our heart, he convicts us and he challenges our heart to the point that we repent And repent is a 180 degree turn so that we're no longer walking away from God, but we're now walking towards God and we come back into relationship with the God who created us through the work of his son at the cross. 
who died on the cross to take our sin and to remove that darkness from our lives. And so when we accept Christ, the light of his presence floods into our heart because darkness is merely the absence of light. And when his light floods our heart, we will never be the same again. This is amazing grace. This is undeserved love. And it's the most stunning truth that you can ever hear or encounter in your life. Jesus came to change our position. He came to change our situation from darkness to light, from death to life. And he said, I am the light of the world. Now, that's a rather large claim, to claim that I am the light of the world. When we think of the light in our world, we think of the sun. You remember that thing, that thing up in the sky that comes out sometimes? Not today. But the sun is that thing that we think of that lights up uh, the entire world. It's a source of light and heat, and it's necessary for us to exist here on planet Earth. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus is the sun, not S-U-N, but S-O-N. Matthew Henry picks this up in his commentary. He says, one sun enlightens the whole world. So does one Christ, and there needs no more. What a dungeon would the world be without the sun. So would it be without Christ, by whom light came into the world. What Jesus is claiming in this passage is that apart from him, there is no light, and therefore there is no life. We just sang a song by Chris Tomlin called Here I Am to Worship. And the first words of that song are these. He says, light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes. Let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. The beauty and hope is what we've experienced as Christians, as we've accepted the light of life. But as we ponder that and we think of those who are walking in the darkness with no hope for the future, many of those people are people that we love dearly. They're our friends, our family, our workmates. They're our school friends. They're our next-door neighbours. They are those in our local community. And we know that we should share about Jesus with them, but the truth is that we often just don't. And this week I was pondering why that's the case. Why is it that we don't share all the time? If we have the greatest news ever, if we have a saviour that's changed our lives, why don't we share about him more often? I think there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, It might be a lack of confidence. It might be fear of what people will see or say. It might be a lack of knowledge. But I think when we boil all those things down to, when we get to the root cause of all this, I think it's really this. It really stems from the truth that we often lose sight of the majesty of God revealed in his son. We lose sight of how magnificent that is. And I want to say this morning that mission will never happen effectively if we don't have a grand vision of who God is. Mission will never happen effectively if we don't have a grand vision of who God is. If we don't get a picture of God that becomes a revelation in our hearts that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving and ever-present, that he's the creator of the universe, that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but at the same time, he's our sacrificial lamb. If we don't understand that he loves us and how magnificent that love is, that he wants real relationship with us and we don't enter into that understanding and that experience and meditate on his beauty and allow our hearts to be gripped by how magnificent he is, then we'll have never, never have anything more than a passing interest in being people on mission. But when God grips our heart and we get a glimpse 
of who he is, of the beauty of the cross and his sacrifice for us, when we experience his love and the joy and purpose that comes into our lives as a result of what Christ did for us, not only do we start to understand that, but we start to understand that he's a God worth giving our heart to, laying our life down for, and he's a God who's worthy of all of our adoration, all of our praise, and all of our service for the rest of our lives. So how do we know who God is and what he's like. Well, it's been revealed to us through his son. Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is the image of the invisible God. And so if you want to know what God is like, then look to Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Look to him. He's an expression of sacrifice and love that reveals to us what the invisible God is. Is like. And so before I encourage you today to be people who step out on mission, I first want to ask you, how well do you know Jesus? You may know of him. You may know about him. But how well do you really know him? Because he knows you. He knows every part of you. And yet he chooses to love you anyway. And he wants relationship with you. And I think that's absolutely <laughs> incredible. And so as we invest in relationship with Jesus through the word of God, through prayer and through spending time in his presence, I'm convinced that it changes our lives and it changes our outlook for mission. And so the first life-changing truth today is that Jesus is the light of the world. And the biggest thing I pray happens today through this message is that we get a fresh vision of the beauty of Jesus, which makes mission the only logical response. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But in an incredible development, he goes on to say that we are the light of the world. In Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. But instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And so in the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The truth is this, that we are all in a big divine relay race. And we are the last runners in the race. We've had those that have gone before us. When we look at the Old Testament, we had the great people of God, the heroes of the faith, the the prophets who ran their race, their part in the race. They pointed people back to God. They were abused and ridiculed and they were killed. But they ran their race well. And we get to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, all the way through to the New Testament, we see that God did not speak. They did not hear from God for 430 years. But when he did speak again, it was John the Baptist who took up the baton and he ran his race well. Scripture tells us that he preached with the power of Elijah. Jesus himself said that John the Baptist was the greatest man who was ever born of a woman. He was the forerunner who prepared the way for Jesus, challenging people to repent and to turn back to God and to be baptised. John the Baptist finished his race and it ended with his head on a platter. But before he died, he passed the baton on to Jesus. He said these words. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. And so he passed the baton on to Jesus. Now we've spoken about Jesus. Jesus ran his race And through his perfect life, his death and his resurrection, he destroyed the works of the enemy and he brought light into the darkness of this world and he passed the baton on to you and me. 
Now, usually in a relay race, they save the last, the best runner for last. He's the best person. And at first glance, it feels like maybe God made a mistake in this relay race. It looks doomed to fail because you and I look a poor substitute when compared to the prophets. We don't really stack up when it comes to John the Baptist. And we're certainly incomparable when it comes to Jesus. And so we might think to ourselves, perhaps we should have been the first runner. You know, you're the first runner in a race if you're the slow one and you get behind, you pass the baton on, and then the better runners, they catch up and then they pass on to the next one and then the last one's the gun. And so they finish the race and they blitz the field and they win the prize. And so we think to ourselves, why weren't we the first runner? Why wouldn't Jesus be the last one? And Jesus said that John the Baptist was a great man. We don't compare to that. And as I was thinking about this race idea this week, this is what struck me. Our expectation of what we can do is so much less than what Jesus expected we could do. Our expectation of what we can do is so much less than what Jesus expected we could do. Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived, but he then went on to say at the end of that sentence that the very least person in the kingdom of God will be even greater than him. He also said that not only would the least of us be greater than John, but he also said that you and I would do greater things than him. That's incredible. In John 14, 12, he says, Very truly, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And then he goes on to say, I will send you the Holy Spirit. He will be your counsellor. He will be your helper. He will be with you. He will be in you and you will walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer us, but it's Christ who lives in us. And so we think to ourselves, how could this be possible? Well, it's possible because Jesus was the third runner in the race and he was the Usain Bolt of mission. He ran his race, he destroyed the enemy, and he finished his race in a way that we can't possibly lose. We are victorious in Christ. And that's an incredible truth, guaranteed victory. And so I want to encourage you, church, today, don't shrink back when it comes to mission, but rise up in faith because we are the light of the world. It's no longer we that live, but Christ who lives in us. And so every day we should wake up with a spring in our step, with an expectancy in our heart. Every day we should be filled with great expectation that God will, he can, and he will use us in incredible ways to see people saved. And so the confidence doesn't come from who we are. The confidence comes from who he is, and he lives in us. And so today I want to give you some practical application on how we can be the light of the world today. Many people, when they think about uh, being on mission, they have this scale, and at one end of the scale they've got Uh, social justice, and it's all about just caring for people and feeding people and meeting their needs. And at the other end of the scale, they've got the soapbox preaching, and it's either or for them. And I want to deliberately stand in the middle today, and I want to encourage you not to get sucked into that false dichotomy there. It's not either or, it's both. The gospel is feeding the poor, caring for the hungry, caring for the widows. It's also preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it's not either or, it's both. And so it's very important that we are people that shine the light 
but we're also people who share the light. We shine the light and we share the light. Now, from my experience, shining the light is much easier for most of us to do than sharing the light. And I think shining the light is an area that we've done uh, reasonably well as a church. Things like the food van and mainly music and the breakfast club have been really effective in, in connecting with our community and meeting real needs. As a result, there are many people who we've been able to share with that we never would have met if it wasn't for those ministries. In fact, if we had have knocked on their door or preached on a soapbox, we may have closed down any opportunity to ever speak into their lives again, but by serving them, it's opened up opportunities to share. And so I want to commend you as a church for sacrificially serving to care for those in our community, and that is something we will continue to do forever as a church. And so we need to be people who shine the light. But I want to give you a real-life example of this this morning, a real-life story of a family in our church Chris and Haley Dale and little Eli, they're here today. I can see them there. Uh, Haley got baptized at our last baptism service, and it was a wonderful day to hear her profess her faith in Jesus and to see the growth in her life since she's been coming along to follow. It was a wonderful thing. But one of the things she said on the day is that one of her greatest heart's desire is that her husband, Chris, would become a Christian. Well, many of you may not know this, but a couple of weeks ago, I did an appeal at the end of the service, and one hand went up. And that one hand was Chris, and he put up his hand in the service that day to say, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I need him to be my Lord and Savior. I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to turn to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I think that is just incredibly exciting when that happens. It's just awesome. You know, and God is working in the life of this family, and he's working the lives of many families. And it's wonderful to see a response like that on a day like that. But it's easy to think to ourselves, well, he heard the truth and he responded. But that would be way too simplistic. And I think it would miss the process that led to Chris responding by faith. You see, Chris had visited churches before with Haley, And he said at times at different churches he felt judged and he felt pressured. And it pushed him further away from God and it pushed him outside of Christian community. And so he came to follow uh, I think reluctantly for Haley. Haley said, hey, there's this great church. He thought, oh, not another one. And uh, he kind of got dragged along. And at first, he would come occasionally. Most weeks, it was just Haley, But occasionally, he, she'd bring Chris with him, and they were wonderful days. But he came reluctantly. But I think he came to follow, and, and he didn't feel pressured, and he didn't feel judged. And he looked at people, and he saw their light shine. After a little while, we were running the marriage course. And so Chris and Haley decided, yep, that would be a good thing. We want to keep growing our marriage. And so they registered for the marriage course. And that was a very influential course in their relationship and I think in Chris coming to faith. Uh, Jason and Danielle ran the marriage course. And so after the marriage course finished, they deliberately and proactively had Chris and Haley over for dinner and continued to journey with them. And so they looked at Jason and Danielle and they saw their light shine. And then... Chris was working in another job, but he always wanted to do an apprenticeship in carpentry. And so there's a couple of guys, Dave and Andy Press at Follow, who are carpenters. And so he ended up taking on an apprenticeship with the presses. And so now he's on a building site. And instead of being on a building site with typical tradies, and I know what that's like because I used to be on a building site, uh, they're pretty rugged and they're pretty rough and they tell dirty jokes and they're degrading to women and they talk about their drinking and they talk about their conquests and, and that's just kind of standard practice on a work site. But all of a sudden Chris finds himself on a work site with a couple of Christian guys who are pretty cool guys. They told me to say that. 
but they love Jesus. And all of a sudden, he sees their light shine. And so then he walks into church, and I'm preaching the gospel, and I give an appeal, and he responds in faith to Jesus, but it's not just because he heard the message. It's because he saw people who were letting their light shine. And God worked through those situations over and over again. And it's no coincidence, a God incidence, isn't it? That God's pursuing him. I think Blind Freddy would see that. But God has got a plan for Chris's life. And through the people of this church who have been an example, and through the work of Jesus at the cross, he's come to know Christ as his Lord and Saviour. And that is a wonderful thing. And as I think about that, what I love about it is this, that it took a body to help Chris become part of the body. And I love that. We all have a part to play. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Darkness repels, but light attracts. So let your light shine. It's important that we shine the light, but it's also important that we get to the point of sharing the truth. This is where some people stop. The social justice people, they stop at shining the light, but they never get to the point of sharing the truth. And the truth is we can feed people to hell. They need Jesus. And so we need to get to the point where we're leading people to that point where we share the importance of repenting and turning to Christ because he's our only hope. And so we need to shine the light and we need to share the truth. And when it comes to shining the light, I think we're happy to shine it bright. But what I've noticed is when it comes to sharing the truth, we have a dimmer switch and we tend to turn the dimmer switch down and we don't let it shine so bright. But I think God wants us to turn the dimmer switch up and with wisdom and led by the Holy Spirit, at the right time, in the right way, he wants us to share the gospel with people in our lives. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if we don't move people from seeing our good deeds to responding to the truth of Jesus by faith, they may spend eternity separated from God. And I think that's tragic. And I also think it's unacceptable. I don't want anybody I know to not experience the joy that we have in Jesus. I don't want anyone I know to not have the hope of Christ for all eternity. And we've got to move people. I think all of us play a part in that. Now, some of you are freaking out right now because you think I'm going to say the E word, evangelism. (laughs) Don't say the E word, please. Uh, When you say evangelism, for many people, they kind of freak out. We're terrified by the idea of sharing. Uh, We're either fearful or we feel guilty because we should do more of it. Or we feel shame because we've blown it in the past or we've missed opportunities. And I don't want you to feel any of those things today. I want you to, uh, to know that when Christ's Spirit dwells in you, he can use you to share as he guides you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think some Christians think, well, we should just do an altar call or some street preaching or door knocking and we'll see instant results. And I think in the past, that method has been pretty good where everyone grew up in Sunday school and they went to church and they knew the basic truths of the gospel. I think that method was pretty effective. But we need to wake up and smell the coffee down the back that we live in a post-Christian world. And I'm not convinced that those methods are still just as effective as they used to be. I don't know about you, but I enjoy people knocking on my door uninvited about as much as I enjoy poking my eyeball with a needle. I don't enjoy it at all. It's my private space. I'm in my pyjamas. I don't want people selling solar panels or trying to convince me of something at my front door. It just annoys me. And so I feel like if if our, our policy was to go door knocking all the time, we'd probably drive people nuts. And by and large, we drive them further away from God. And so we've got to think about our context and what's most effective in our day. 
I think the other thing that overzealous evangelists underestimate is that we're all created different. We have different giftings and callings. Some are evangelists, but some are prophets, some are teachers, some are pastors. And I think street preaching and door knocking can still be effective, but I'm convinced it will be most effective with people who are genuinely gifted and trained in evangelism. And when we try and force everyone to do it that way, in some ways it ends up causing more damage than good. A number of years ago, in the US, they did some research amongst a few thousand young adults, and they were trying to find out what are the main blockers between people who aren't yet Christians and faith. And at the end of the research, they wrote a book called Unchristian. And they had six top blockers that stopped people from coming to faith. And one of them is what they call the get saved mentality. And the get saved mentality is basically this, that I want to be your friend because I want you to know Jesus. And as long as I think there's some interest that you'll know Jesus, and I'll keep being your friend. But as soon as you're not interested... I'm going to move on to someone else. And that's the get saved mentality. And I think sometimes street preaching and those sort of things can lend themselves to that, that we're here to preach to you, but we don't really love you. Just give your life to Jesus and we're going to move on to the next person. And I think it's really important that we don't have that get saved mentality when we step out. I think in other words, they believe Christians only love them with an agenda and they saw saw them as projects rather than as people. And yet we all have the responsibility to share so how do we go about doing that? The Bible says I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation to save those who believe, everyone who believes. And so here's my advice when it comes to evangelism this morning. I think we should pray for the instant. When do I want my friends to come to know Jesus? Right now. We should pray for the instant that right now God would reveal himself to them, that they would give their life to Jesus right now. So we should pray for the instant, but we should also embrace the long term as we journey with people in loving relationships. Bill Hybels wrote a book a number of years ago called Just Walk Across the Room. The idea is that who knows what may happen if you just walk across the room and start a conversation. He was telling the story in that book of a a mate of his who he first met at the sailing club. They both loved sailing. And this guy heard that Bill Hybels was a pastor and he said to Bill straight away, I don't want to hear about your God. Don't shove your religion in in my face. I'm not interested in your faith. I don't want to hear about it at all. And so Bill respected that. And he just started journeying with this guy. They started sailing together. And over time, they became really close friends. They had these awesome experiences sailing around the world, doing different things. And it wasn't until 10 years later, one day they just had this incredible experience out sailing. They were looking out at the sunset. And it was in that moment that Bill felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to challenge his friend again. And he said, mate, I love you. And I can't stand the thought of doing eternity without you. And that day, his mate gave his life to the Lord. And he's now working in leadership at his church. And it all came because he was willing to embrace the long term, to journey with this guy, and then led by the Holy Spirit at the right time and in the right way, he challenged his friend who gave his life to the Lord. And I think we need to be led by the Holy Spirit when it comes to the way that we share. That guy surrendered his life to Christ in a way that he was far from willing to do when they first met. And so I wonder how we can take some steps towards sharing Christ with people. Well, I want to finish today by putting a practical tool in your hand. Uh, This week, Rowan and I were at a church planting conference in the city, and there was a guy there who's been my church planting coach, and he shared something they do in their church. They call it the four C's. There is no way we're going to call it the four C's in our church because we have the four C's crisis centre just down the road, and that's really, really confusing. And so we're going to adopt this method, but we're going to call it the C4 pathway. The four C's in this pathway are these, connect, care, 
communicate and commit. And so every event they do as a church goes through this grid. And what is this event for? What are we designing this event to achieve? And so if you're doing a blokes night where you're just having a bunch of mates over to watch the footy and you want to get your pre-Christian friends with your Christian friends, then that's probably going to be a 1C event. You're just looking to connect. It's the first step. You're wanting to connect with someone. But things like the food van are probably more of a 2C event. We want to connect with people and we want to care for them. And best case scenario, it will come to communicate and commit as well. But primarily, we're there to care and connect. Mainly music, playgroup, for example, would be a 3C event where we connect with the people that come, we care for those in attendance, and we communicate the gospel through song and through think spots, which are short Bible talks. But things like the new Christian course that Ray just ran recently would be a 4C event where we connect, care, communicate, and then we call people to commit. And so when we use a C4 grid, we actually have purpose to every event we do. But that's not what excites me about it. What excites me is this, that it can become very uh, powerful when you use it individually as well. And so today on the way in, you would have received one of these little cards. It's called a Connect card. I'll put it up the right way. And on the front, it just simply says, taking the first step. Are you praying and looking for people that God's prepared? And so consider, who can I see who I don't know here? And ask, what did you get up to on the weekend? You know, sometimes it's a really easy thing just to say to someone that you've just met at a school when you're picking up your kid, for example. Hey, what'd you do on the weekend? So I went and did this, I did that. And then they're socially obliged to ask what? What did you do on the weekend? And so if we don't creatively omit some things from that answer, we can easily instantly share that we're Christians. And so sometimes we go, oh, well, Friday night, I had some friends over. Saturday night, I watched the footy. Uh, Sunday Arvo, just took it easy. What did we miss out? Sunday morning, just add church. And all of a sudden, straight away, you've shared with those people that you're a Christian and you've started the path towards communicating more with them. And so this card can be really, really, um, I think, powerful. And what we want you to do is just write down four people on the back of the card that you're going to commit to praying for for the next 12 months, people that don't yet know the Lord. Just put their name down. might be a, a couple or a family or just a single. And then you just commit every day to praying John 3.16 over them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And so as you pray, you can think about those four C's. I'm praying for Bob. Well, where is he at? Well, I've only just met him, so I'm praying that I can connect more with him. But maybe you've got a friend, Fred, and you've been journeying with him for a long time, and he's really interested, and you've been able to share your faith with him, but he's at the point where you want him to commit to Jesus. And so you're praying, Lord, I pray that you would use me to speak to Fred and help him to commit his life to the Lord. And so as we go through this every day, I think it can be incredibly powerful because evangelism is not just a church event. It's an individual pursuit. And so I want to encourage each of you, if you don't have four pre-Christian friends, well, your first challenge is to connect with some. You know, there's people that come to our church now that I first met them at kinder when I was picking up my son, and they come to church. And it just started with, I didn't, I didn't meet them and say, hey, do you know Jesus? I was just normal. Hey, mate, how are you? Hey, it was good to know him. Why don't we catch up and have a coffee sometime? We did that. Then we got the kids together, and now they're coming to church. And so I think sometimes it's easier than you think. And if nothing changed except that every person in this room today prayed for four people, then I guarantee you everything will change. And our biggest mode of growth will become people coming to know the Lord. And so I want to put that tool in your hand today. And I want to encourage you to be praying for people who don't yet know Jesus deliberately, 
and proactively. Let's remember this morning what Jesus taught. I am, you are, we are the light of the world. And so let's shine the light and let's share the truth in Jesus' name with great expectation that we're going to see people come to know Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for what you said, that you are the light of the world, that you stepped down into darkness, that you broke the power of sin and death over our lives, and through the cross you've given us the hope of eternal life, and that's an awesome thing. But Lord, we also acknowledge that you've passed the baton on, and you said you are the light of the world, that we are the light of the world. Lord, that's a huge responsibility. And in all honesty, it's sometimes one that we feel overwhelmed by. But Lord, wherever we're at in that, I just pray that you give us the courage to take the first step. If the first step is connecting with people, Lord, I pray this week as we go and pick up our kids from school, as we go to work, as we spend time with our friends and family, that you would just highlight people that we can deliberately connect with. Lord, we know that we're inadequate, but we know that we're sufficient with you. Your grace is sufficient for us. We are more than conquerors in Christ. So as we step out to share, Lord, as your disciples did, you said, don't worry about the words to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And so, Lord, as we step out in faith, Lord, I pray that you would equip us with the words to say as we put in your word each week. I pray that you'd bring it out at the right time so that precious people that you love who are right now separated from you would have those obstacles removed and they'd come into relationship, that they would know you as their own Lord and Saviour. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.